Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the 168 Podcast. I'm Mitch Knight, joined by Jordan Bird. Once again, the aim of this podcast is to help you connect corporate worship to your everyday life throughout the week so you can have a full week of 168 hours tethered to Jesus. So today we're going to be talking about uh, what it really means to be a disciple. We're going to be looking uh, over a passage in Luke 9 and kind of glean some things out of that and see how we can live into our life in Christ um, on a more fulfilling and regular basis. Yeah. Welcome, everybody. Uh, Mitch, this was this topic, at least, was something you brought to to our attention as something to discuss on an episode. And so why don't you get us started by just kind of laying out your thoughts of why you thought it was worth us discussing in relation to our theme of, of our podcast. So we've mentioned it the last couple of episodes now just about personal commitment and that a relationship with anybody doesn't really work when it's one hour a week only. Um, there needs to be more investment in it for you know, for there to be real substance there. And similarly, for, the, for us in Christ, we can't just go to a worship service on Sunday and have that be our entire spiritual diet. There's a commitment that's expected and commanded of us in Scripture. Um, and today, I would just wanted to focus on that commitment and maybe go over some ideas at the end of how we can actually live into that commitment and maybe some things we do to do that. Um, but yeah, today I wanted the focus to be on you know, the vertical relationship between us and God. How can we be committed to God in a real relationship, not just one hour a week, but every day of every week? Yeah. So looking at Luke 9 and looking specifically at verses 23 and following, uh, I'll just read just a section of it here. This is from the NIV translation. Uh, it says, then he, talking about Jesus here, then Jesus said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? And so one thing I that stands out to me just in light of the the theme we're talking about here is the very blunt way in which Jesus says that a disciple is to take up their cross, and we can talk about that here in a moment, what that might be more specifically, but the whole idea of doing it daily, that there's a daily component to being a disciple. It And daily means, I mean, we just want to talk about in a very literal sense, like daily, we usually think about that meaning like every day, so including Sundays but then also the days following or the days leading up to Sunday. And so, keep, again, keeping the theme with the whole idea of following Jesus all 168 hours of the week. And so we see that very idea very clearly expressed in in this verse, in, in these verses. Do you want to touch on that at all, just the daily component? Yeah, so piggybacking on that, I always go to the whoever part first. You know, this is a requirement for anybody who wants to follow after Jesus. So this is directed at all people, and then the requirement is kind of like, well, it's all people and all the time. It's daily. It's um, not just a thing we do randomly. It's a lifestyle that we live in. So we can't, like you, you said, we're expected to do it on Sunday, but we need to be you know, involved in a relationship with God daily because 
this is the word of God right here. This is God speaking to us, and this is what he's commanded to us. So I think that's the expectation. Yeah. Yeah, the the dynamic of the you know denying yourself, I think, is something worth taking. I mean, and that that connects with taking up your cross daily. So, are you up for talking about that that theme and yeah. kind of getting into that? Um, one place where this this verse has become upfront in a more clear way for me in the last few years is uh, specifically in relation to. I mean, it really could be in relation to any sin. But in trying to figure out like what is a Christian's response or a follower of Jesus' response to the 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 homosexual homosexuality issue, um, and and can that or can that not in, interact with um, be, or be compatible with following Jesus, and and how to make sense of that? Um, many of the I mean, much many things in our culture are very much sort of it's either okay or it's not okay, or it just should be all be accepted, and there's a lot with a lot of pressure from culture to have followers of Jesus sort of fit the norm of how the homosexuality or really any of the LGBTQ stuff. I mean, they all have their own nuances, so I don't want to lump them all too much together. I get that they're different things, different realities, um, but this is one thing that, at least in the 21st century and even into the late 20th century, was has become a big issue for. The Christian church and, and for Christians and followers of Jesus to wrestle with. And, and how do we make sense of, of it in relation to how culture views it? And the easy answer is just to just say, like, don't do it. Okay, you could say don't do it, but that doesn't just solve it for somebody who wrestles with that issue. That's like if I struggle with eating, someone just telling me to just not eat junk food. Okay, you can say that, and that's pretty easy for you to say, but that doesn't make it easy for me than to implement that or to live in in the right relationship of with eating. It, it, it's, that's still a journey and a hard thing to do. And a message I heard on this um, from a, a podcast from a, a church one time, the, the person really pointed out how we make it very easy to think like, just don't do something. But yet this person tried to relay the whole tenseness with the homosexuality issue back to just any sin and talking about how like every follower of Jesus has that thing that they constantly are battling through to to not have have it be a hindrance between their relationship with God and the full life that God has for them for some people it may be that they are attracted to someone of the same uh, gender or you know that that sort of thing like homosexuality but for others, it may be that they really struggle to tell the truth all the time, or it may be that they struggle with lust, or it may be that they struggle with, with gluttony, like with eating too much. Like there's a variety of things that we are all trying to not be enslaved to and allow God's influence in our life to free us of that. And how this person was connecting this verse to those issues was the idea that a lot of times in the church or in Christian circles, it can come across, I don't think it's necessarily always intentional, but it can come across like, follow Jesus and, and all your problems just somehow go away. And it's not practically or functionally how it always happens. Does Jesus free us from our sin and the enslavement of it? Yes, that's possible. But does it mean that we won't wrestle with it until we are perfected in the resurrected life that, that Christ has for us when he returns? No, we're, we're always going to be wrestling against these things, it seems like, 
but it doesn't mean that we can't rely on the power of God to help us through them. And how I understand or how this person was trying to apply these verses was the idea that every follower of Jesus has a thing that they're always battling, that they're always having to die to. Like if it's gluttony, it's it's saying no to certain foods. It's literally dying, like not indulging in those things. Or if it's lust, it's literally killing off that um, you know, you you have that desire. It's like it's just like trying to cut it off right then and there. It's literally putting it to death at every moment of every day. And does that mean that the desire just magically goes away? No, it doesn't. And it seems like for a lot of um, people who deal with like the homosexuality issue, it's not just something they can turn off. Like there is, I don't quite understand it all, but there does does seem to be maybe it's chemically related or whatever it may be. There's something about an attraction there that they just don't know how to get rid of. And what this person in this message I'm referring to is saying, like, the temptation to indulge in that, that activity, the, you know, to act on it's the sin, but to be tempted to do it is a different thing altogether. And what a follower of Jesus is called to is to daily be putting that desire to death. And it's, it's something that Jesus says, like, we have to do daily. It's not just, oh, I did it once and it's done and over with. And it seems to be like something that we're called to do daily to then allow God's, um, the power of his spirit to be in our life, to then help rid that out of our life till we are eventually perfected when we meet Jesus face-to-face one day. And I don't pretend to understand how that entire process of becoming perfected in Christ looks like, but this seems to be a part of the process, at least here on the side of, of death, that, of how we're called to, to follow Jesus. I've talked for a little bit too long here, but why don't you dive into that, that idea? So I look at the term denial, kind of like you didn't link it to the daily battle. To deny, I think the implication in the verse is that there are some baser instincts or urges that we have that we literally need to stand over and above and say no to. And to Jordan's point, it's saying daily, like this is what's expected of us. It's not going to, you know, in some senses, like what Jordan's saying is it's not going to get easier. It's a cross. You know, a cross isn't fun to carry. It's a heavy burden. It's not something that's supposed to be easy, but the reward matches the difficulty of the task. I mean, that's, you know, I think that's a biblical concept. It's like trial and tribulation, you know, we're rewarded. Um, Blessed is he who undergoes trial and temptation and comes through. He'll receive the crown of glory that God gives to those who love him. It says that in James. You know, that's one thing. Um, But the other point, kind of what Jordan was getting at is that we lose the accountability battle when we make people feel bad for the things they want rather than the things that they're actually acting on. You know, Jesus was tempted but never sinned. So if temptation is sin, then Jesus sinned, but he didn't. We can't make people feel bad for the sinful nature that is in their body, like you were talking about chemically, you know, being chemically oriented a certain way, whatever they struggle with, you know, it's so much easier to confess temptation than it is to confess sin. I mean, that's uh, something I learned when I was out at Fredonia. Um, Pastor Jeff always used to mention this. Confessing temptation is a huge part of accountability, but a lot of times in culture, you know, there's things that people make other people feel bad for even wanting to be tempted or having a desire for something. And it's like, well, what do you want? Like, do you want someone to reach out to you and say, hey, I really want to watch this or I want to drink this or I want to do this. 
or do you want them to say, hey, I watched this, I did this, I drank this, you know, and now there's a whole mess to clean up. There needs to be an understanding that like our commitment is an understanding that there's a denial of self that happens every day. There are things we want to do, but like Jordan said, we put to death. We don't pursue them. And that is the battle that's won. I mean, we have a propensity towards sin, but the Holy Spirit that lives in us gives us self-control over ourselves. And through the Spirit, we're able to put to death the misdeeds of our body so that we might live. It's a battle. It's a daily battle. It's denial. And once again, it's a cross. You know, it's hard, but we're not just doing it together or we're not just doing it alone. We're doing it in a community. And we need to be able to rely on each other as a community in times of temptation to, you know, not feel judged or not feel berated, um, but to feel comforted and encouraged and to actually feel real accountability. So I know that kind of gets in a little bit more of the horizontal, right? So, you know, I want to talk more about the vertical, but we all share that common struggle. There's something that we have to deny to get closer to God every single day. Yeah, and, and maybe to touch on the, the, the vertical or how our life as followers of Jesus literally follows in his life is that Jesus is calling us to f- literally follow him in his footsteps of, of taking up a cross. Now, clearly ours will not look and will not play out the same way his, his did. Like, it's very likely most of us aren't going to end up hanging on a cross like Jesus did. But Jesus willingly accepted that, and I think there's a call to willingly accept that the things that are pulling at us and tempting us to, to say, like, these, these, this is where life really is, whereas God's saying, no, like, that is, is a shallow version of what life is, and if you were to, fo- if you were to put it to death and, and, allow, and follow in my path, that you'll have a more abundant life. Like, that's truly the way you should, should follow. And so you should be willing to, to follow my steps, footsteps and, and put that to death. Be willing to put it to death and trust that my spirit, the, the power of God, can fill that void where, where you put that death, you know, where, where that death comes into play. And, I mean, it's the same thing we see in the life of Jesus, right? Like, he hangs on the cross— it's not the cross in and of itself that is the saving thing there. It's that Jesus is entrusting himself to the power of God to give him life even if he dies. And we have the same thing that we're called into. It's to, it's to truly believe that if I put this thing, whatever that thing is for each one of us, if we put that thing to death, if we're actively killing it each day, it's a belief that in killing it, I will actually receive life without it. But our imaginations are often so shaped by like, no, I, I don't have life if I don't f- seek out and fulfill that thing. Whereas God's saying like, I have a lot wider and broader form of life for you than what you think you can have. But it, it involves following in the footsteps of Jesus. It involves following in his path. And it seems so counterintuitive to us because that's not the way things should work. Like, put it to death. How does that create life? Well, it does in a Jesus sense, because we see in the life of Jesus that resurrection is what makes that make sense. And that's what gives us hope and, and us a encouragement to then put things to death and then step into the life of God as, as best we can. But it involves doing it on a daily basis. And one thing I wanted to kind of go back to is that with any temptation that people have, I think we often have this vision of a follower of Jesus as someone who is just never, it's just going to be rid of any 
temptation. Like, you know, if you deal with lust, it's just like magically someday you're not going to want those things. And it may like get easier and it may go away. I mean, it may, I'm not saying it can't, but it seems looking at scripture, at least specifically looking at this verse, that there's a daily call to, to pick up our cross and um, follow Jesus, to put something of ourselves that, that is here now to death. It seems to hint at, at least, that we're always going to deal with these things. And the temptation isn't the issue. It's the, are you engaging in what the temptation is calling you to do, which Mitch already kind of hinted at or, or talked about. And that is what's, that's what sin, I mean, James talks about that whole process of like how temptation unfolds and eventually someone gives into it and, and sin takes place. Um, and I think this is where like, if you go back to the whole homosexuality thing, like uh, there's this whole you know conversation with documentaries and a whole bunch of different things about people who are invited into like conversion therapies and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not necessarily trying to get into that, but there is a sense with that sort of understanding of sin and following Jesus that any sort of influence toward a life outside of God is just sort of magically gone once you follow Jesus. And that's not the case. Like there's always going to be that pressure until all things are made new. And it's until that point that we're called to follow Jesus. We're called to believe day in and day out that his way is the best way and to die to that thing. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be painful. It's going to be like a death each and every day. That's not pleasant, but neither was it pleasant for Jesus. But he ultimately hoped in the life that he could have by living into the fullness that, that his Heavenly Father had for him. You want to touch on anything more related to that? Yeah, I think that was a good way to sum up the losing your life in order to save it part of the scripture. I mean, because what you said literally was that, I mean, putting these things to death, I mean, it seems like it's not going to give us life, but it does in a, in a Jesus sense. Like Jesus relented to the cross because he trusted in God, and we need to do that as well. I mean, if we try and manufacture things on our own, you know, out of our own power and out of our own vision for the way our life should go, we're really attempting to save our lives and we're going to lose it. But in submission and understanding that this is a daily battle and in denial of ourselves and our control, that's how we win. So I think to bridge into the the next part of this conversation, maybe like, you know, for me, I can start, but I, I just kind of wanted to talk about examples of how, you know, not to like brag or anything like that, but examples of how we have denied ourselves to follow after Christ on a day-to-day basis. And for me, um, not getting into like super deep stuff, but well, in a way it is, but like with idolatry, you know, I mean, every sin can really be traced back to idolatry in a way. And I think for me, sometimes a temptation can be like every day, like the first thing I want to do instead of like going to God is instead like, you know, going to different forms of media or like watching football highlights or like doing that kind of stuff and getting engrossed in that for hours and hours and hours instead of like, you know, actually reading God's word or connecting with God or, you know, trying to be observant of these commitments that I'm called into. And I find that when I do the opposite, so when I'm, when I'm following after what I want to do instead of following after God, I find that I'm not having the most life-giving days that I normally do because I'm actually losing my life by saving it or like following after what I want 
and those things are all permissible, you know, that I mentioned, you know, football and all of that. But if I'm putting it before my commitments to God, then I'm not going to be experiencing the fullness of life moment to moment that I should. And so the opposite is true. When I deny myself and it's like, you know what, I really don't feel like reading God's word this morning, but I'm going to do it anyway. Or like, I really don't feel like praying, but I'm going to do it anyway. There's always like an overwhelming joy that I feel through the Holy Spirit. You know, I feel the invigoration that comes from that. And for me, I guess a lot of the denial uh, of self comes in like, order of priorities. It's like, well, what are you actually worshiping? It's like, what are you following after in place of God on a day-by-day basis? And it's just always being aware of whether that's like a really big issue that we talk about or a small issue like, you know, football highlights. (laughs) So I guess that's, that's an example for me. I don't know if you had anything you wanted to share on that or. Yeah. And what you're saying makes me think of I know for me, at least, to to think about the concept of having to die to something every day sounds like a very, maybe maybe almost like negative or passive thing. Like, I mean, maybe to kind of give an example, it's like, a, I'm not going to eat junk food today. I'm not going to eat junk food today. As if like, that's what it means to, to die to yourself. And that might be, a, that's part of it. But dying to yourself, I think in, in the manner in which Christ is calling us to is die to this thing in order to fill it with this thing, which I think is getting to what you're talking about. And like, what fills that space that you died to that thing, which has to have an object to what it is you're pursuing? Because if it's just, I'm going to not do this, there's nothing you're aiming toward then that that's then fuller or better or whatever it may be. I mean, maybe a practical example, and I feel like uh, diets are kind of always used for this kind of an illustration, but I've been trying to do intermittent fasting for a little bit of time here recently. And part of denying myself food for certain hours, it's not just that I'm denying it. It's I'm denying it in order to have this other thing take place or to happen, uh, to, you know, have my body consume certain calories that are just stored as, as fat or whatever it may be. Like it's, it's for a, a different purpose, not just to not do something. And the negative can be so consuming that it just becomes, it feels self-defeating because it's like, well, I'm just trying to, and it becomes just like on our own power, I guess is where I'm, where I'm trying to get it. Like, I'm just trying to die to it. I'm just trying to die to it. Whereas I think Jesus is inviting us to, yes, die to this thing, but fill it with something that is then even more life-giving and, and has the power of God's spirit attached to it to then give you the fuller life that God wants you to have. And that's very different than just saying no to something because you're actually saying yes to something else. And just to circle back to um, the illustration I was giving earlier of of a sin, um, like with homosexuality, I don't want to give the impression that like we're just stuck with negative things our whole life. But I do think there's a sense in which until Christ returns, we're never going to um, be rid of the temptations of this world. And I know with the homosexuality thing in particular, I have one friend who he has wrestled with that for most of his life that I know of. And where he ends up with it is, I think, as far as I understand, like pretty bluntly saying, like, I don't know how to not have certain desires, but in following Jesus, he has to make a conscious effort each and every day to live differently than that, to act differently in relation to that. And he, even though the, the temptation or the, the pull is there, that he doesn't know how to, to, what to do with that. And maybe there's ways that that could be dealt with. It's not to say that it couldn't ever go away, but where he had to be had to come to is that 
it's ultimately in choosing to do what God wants me to do is what allows me to follow in Jesus' footsteps, not just to be rid of the desire altogether. I, I think that ends up being defeating because it, it, it may never happen. It can. I'm not saying it can't, but it, it may never. And, and wrestling with that and dying to that each and every day, for, again, for whatever that thing is for, for all of us, whether it's lust, whether it's gluttony, whether it's lying, whether it's you name it, gossiping, whatever that thing is that we just don't know how to like get ourselves out of being pulled toward that thing, that's the thing we're likely called to die to ourselves each and every day. And, and dying to ourselves happens in a lot of other ways too, right? Like um, the, dying to ourselves in, in relation to another's preference or um, what someone else needs more important than you in the moment, whatever it may be. There's a variety of ways in which that, that can play out. This is just one particular way. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to kind of circle back to that and just clarify a little bit because I'm not trying to say like it can't ever go away, but it just seems like I know it's no from the stuff I wrestle with in my life. Like I just wish it would go away, but it doesn't for some reason. And I don't know why. Um, but it's, you know, if someone has anger issues, it could be the same thing. Like there's a propensity to just want to like be angry and for in different moments and lash out. And it may be like, you just have to die to that and fill it with just keeping your mouth shut or uh, speaking a kind word when it's very hard to do or whatever it may be. Like there's a variety of ways that can be filled with in following Jesus. Um, hopefully, hopefully that helped kind of clarify that point at least. Yeah. So maybe one practical step for the people that are listening to what we alluded to earlier and what we're doing now in talking about it is that we have to understand that all disciples have to deny something, right? So if we're all in this process of self-denial for life-giving moments with Jesus, then there shouldn't be any shame in talking about other people with what you're going through. You don't have to suffer through anything alone. I mean, God is omnipresent. He's proof of that enough. He's always with you, whether you want him to be there or not. And we should be helping each other out and supportive and seeing how we can, you know, attempt to be a guardrail for someone in our lives that need it. So, you know, maybe what you can do is just talk about this stuff because I think, again, in, in culture, I think we're, we only ever talk about stuff like this, like behind, behind closed doors with like, you know, maybe like professionals or something like that. But, or once it finally, like you said earlier, just eventually kind of comes out, but in, in not the right, like we've already acted on it. Like, and then we have to kind of admit to it if we're going to be honest. But yeah, professionals yeah. are where it tends to end up being. But, which, nothing wrong with that, but there are other avenues by which that yeah. can be expressed is, is what I think what we're trying to say. And it says that in John's letters. I mean, anything that's taken out of the darkness and brought into the light in itself becomes a light. We're not just called to wait until the darkness gets so bad that we can't see anything. We're called to actually like flip on the light switch and, you know, expose things, be honest about things and understand that we're all in it together and we're a family. So, and maybe one other thing just to, to tag on in relation to the idea of tying together Sunday worship with the rest of the week and all 168 hours is if following Jesus becomes a habit of just something that happens on Sunday, Sunday is when we can be tempted to cram those conversations in. And it's hard to do that as we're going in to worship and out of worship. And not to say they can't, but there are six other days of the week and even more hours on Sunday than that the time we're 
in corporate worship to have some of those conversations. And we have a variety of means to be able to do that with, through technology and whatnot um, to do that. So my encouragement would be like, who are those relationships that you can foster to have those kinds of conversations with beyond just Sunday morning? And maybe it's with those people even on Sunday morning, because it can happen more than once. It doesn't have to be just once during the week. But you know, how do we incorporate that into following Jesus day in and day out? Thanks, everybody, for engaging with and listening and watching the 168 podcast, and we'll catch you next time.